0: THE BIBLE CONTAINS GREAT FINANCIAL ADVICE AND ALSO ANSWERS QUESTIONS OF MORALITY. JOIN US AS WE LOOK FOR ANSWERS TO YOUR QUESTIONS AND HELP YOU KNOW YOUR BIBLE. GOOD MORNING. WELCOME BACK TO KNOW YOUR BIBLE. WE'RE GLAD YOU'RE WITH US TODAY. WE'RE GOING TO TRY TO ANSWER AS MANY OF YOUR QUESTIONS AS WE CAN TODAY. AND IF YOU'RE A FIRST TIME VIEWER, YOU MAY WONDER WHAT THAT'S ABOUT. THAT'S WHAT THIS PROGRAM DOES. Is uh, we're a little different than most religious TV programs. Uh, Most religious programs tell you what they think you need to know or what you want to know. We ask you what you want to know and try to find answers to that. So that's the way we operate. We've got a website and a phone number on the screen all the time. You can use those any time to get in touch with us. Ask any kind of question that's on your mind. A specific one about the Bible. What's this verse mean? What's that mean? Is this doctrine in the Bible? Or maybe something in your life or a current event. You say, What's the biblical principle on that? I wonder what God thinks about that. We'll try to find you an answer to those kind of questions. So that's how we operate. Uh, use those numbers anytime to get in touch with us, and you direct this program. Uh, the ones that answer it are me and my friend Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're back. And uh, we've got some good ones this week coming up. We're going to see how many we can get done, but always start with one for our viewers. So. If you and your family want to try to figure this one out, uh, Who Prepared the Way for Jesus? What was that man's name? And Most of you probably know that, but we'll give you the answer at the end of the program and see how many of you knew it. All right, I think I drew the first one today, and this one's about a movie, a little movie review here. Should we believe books and movies like Heaven is Real? Well, I have not seen that movie, but... uh, had to go by how many movies I've seen. You, you wouldn't know much about any movies. Uh, but I did look this one up to see what it was about, and it's supposedly the story of a four-year-old who had emergency surgery, and during that surgery somehow he semi-died and went to heaven for a while and saw his sister and a bunch of stuff and I came back and told his story of about what heaven's like. So that's what the book and movie is about as I understand it. Uh, viewer wants to know: Should we believe that stuff? Well, number one, you can't prove it. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to argue with a four-year-old <laughs> and, and tell him he made it up. So he got it somewhere. I don't know where. And, uh, but you can't—he can't prove it. Is the point. Uh, but this program's not about scientific proof and all that. It's about what the Bible says. And there's no precedent for anything like that. No indication of anything like that in the Bible. Actually, there's some (laughs) uh, anti-evidence in the Bible because there were a few people that died and were brought back to life. Uh, Lazarus and Dorcas and the widow's son and a a few others that we're told about that died and were resurrected. And all of them said not one word about what heaven was like or the afterlife was like or what they saw. Uh, It was not revealed to us if they saw anything or what that experience was like. And if it was exciting and as important as movies and some books make it out to be today, maybe one of them would have told us something about it. But they didn't. Uh, The other example, which I call a negative example, is we also know somebody who did get to see a vision of heaven and went there As he says, and listen to what he said. It was the Apostle Paul, of course, and he records it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And here's what verses 2 through 4 say. And he talks about himself in the third person because he doesn't want to brag. Uh, He says earlier, I know a man that was caught up into heaven. This man was caught up to paradise, the third heaven. And he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. And Paul went on and told us nothing about his experience uh, because he wasn't permitted to tell it. Now, uh, maybe that four year old got special permission to come back and tell, but that's not very biblical. Uh, the folks that died and came back to life in the Bible didn't tell us anything. Uh, the one who went there was caught up to it and uh, saw things and amazing things was not permitted to tell us about what the afterlife's like. So, uh, should we believe it? I, I do not personally believe it. I wouldn't spend too much time arguing about it or worrying about it. It's just I wouldn't uh, uh, pay too much attention to it. And whatever this little boy described, and Gary, I can tell you one thing, it's better than he described uh, because it's unimaginable and it's, it can't be expressed, so uh, wouldn't worry about it too much. And no, I don't believe it. <laughs> All right, Toby. Totally. Uh, next
1: viewer says, "I am a believer, not necessarily in that question, but <laughs> I'm a believer. But I don't read my Bible. Am I wrong?" Well, historically speaking, uh, not reading your Bible has been actually more in the majority, uh, not out of preference, but out of necessity, uh, for much of of history. Uh, the idea of the written Word of God was very rare uh, as we start out looking at the New Testament. Indeed, all those books uh, began as letters, and those letters were passed around and read. Sometimes they were copied, uh, but there was just very few copies, um, and that seems such like such a strange idea to us. After the Bible was uh, uh, put together, uh, those who had access to it uh, were very few. Uh, There were very few people that actually uh, even saw a Bible, say, a thousand years ago, but uh, let alone read a Bible. And now, uh, especially after the invention of the printing press, uh, the book has become so prolific, it's everywhere uh, the Bible has, for many, many years, been the top-selling book of all time, of all books ever written, uh, because people are intrigued by the words within. So uh, it's, a, it's a fabulous book. It's, as we teach on this program, it's God-breathed, and that's what makes it so special. Unlike every other book that's ever been written or that will be written, that's based on human wisdom, uh, this is the very breath of God. Um, and it penetrates our hearts, and it penetrates our minds, and it penetrates even to the soul. So it's a very powerful book. Now, <clears throat> you ask the question, am I wrong to not uh, read my Bible? And I'm going to say, I think you're missing a wonderful opportunity to grow and mature in your walk with Christ, especially because it's so easy. I mean, I, I can only imagine how... Uh, Christians of the first century might could faintly even imagine a world where the Bible was just right at their fingertips—the very word of God. They just uh, touch a screen, and there it is. Uh, you can not only uh, read it on online; you can look at it, apps. You can hear it in an audio book. You can read it on your Kindle. It's so available everywhere. Uh, there is really no excuse that anyone shouldn't. Uh, want to uh, read the Word of God because it's such an impactful book. Uh, but I made a list of some, some other opportunities I think you're missing, and I hope you'll think about them and consider reading your Bible. Uh, one, uh, reading your Bible helps you to know God and Jesus better. Uh, they wrote the Word. Uh, it's literally God-breathed. So when you're reading the Bible, you're getting to know the author. Number two, it helps you live a blessed life. Uh, Psalm chapter 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Third, it allows you to uh, grow and to mature as a Christian. Uh, All Scripture is God-breathed, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, uh, and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. You see, it's not just about what I think, but God's got to to correct me on the things that I misthink, (laughs) that I think incorrectly. And he's done that over my journey uh, in Christ, been a Christian for 25 years now, and he's corrected much of my thinking through the power of his word. Um, Third, I'm sorry, fourth, it instructs you to do what's right. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, um, It also gives you spiritual nourishment. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. It it feeds something in you that can't be fed anywhere else. Uh, It also gives you encouragement and hope. Uh, For those of you who are having tough times, uh, Romans chapter 15 says, what it was written in the past was written to teach us that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. We're reminded that better days lie ahead, that if our faith is in Christ, uh, we have uh, a guarantee of a home in heaven with Him. And it gives (coughs) us wisdom and discernment. Uh, There's no other book like the Bible to help us clarify our thinking and to to cut through uh, all the muddled wisdom of the world and give us the truth just straight. So lots of good things in the Bible, and if you're not reading it, you're missing out on all those things uh, so, open the book today, sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course. Uh, you'll be blessed by reading God's Word. All
0: right. Thank you, Toby. I wish I was advertising the correspondence course right now, <laughs> but I'll do that after my next question. But uh, you did a good job of explaining <laughs> why people ought to want to study the Bible, and you people all just hold that in your mind for a little while, and I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you a good way to get started in just a moment. Let's do this question first, though. The viewer wants to know what happens. Uh, to people who never hear God's Word. For example, people in third world countries that never hear the gospel. Well, there will be some people like that that the the gospel has not reached. Uh, People haven't heard about the one true God and His Son, Jesus. Uh, You want to know what will happen to them. Well, great question. Uh, We are told to go, try to reach them, uh, as we go around the world, we're supposed to teach people about God and Jesus. We're supposed to make disciples out of them, baptize them. Uh, that's why we have missionaries. That's what they choose to do is go to places that haven't heard about Jehovah and His Son Jesus and tell people about it. So that's part of what we're supposed to do as Christians, uh, but we probably won't get everybody and uh, what happens to them. God's got that one covered. Uh, Let's look at his answer and Paul's explanation of it in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 is where it starts. And he says, uh, when Gentiles, now these are Jews, non-Jews, people that hadn't heard about Jehovah. And in that day and age there were lots of pagan tribes and all that that didn't know about Jehovah. He says, when Gentiles who don't have the law do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves. Even though they don't have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Alright, go back and read that in your own in time, Romans chapter two, fourteen, and what Paul says there is, people who haven't heard the law who haven't had the revelation of Jehovah and what we call the Bible, uh, they have a law written on their hearts. That's the way God made us. He put the basics of human morality in every person. And the basics of human morality, everybody everywhere uh, knows you're not supposed to murder, you're not supposed to steal, you're not supposed to commit adultery. We know all that. It's just by nature. That's Every civilization comes up with that. And Paul says that's the law for them, is how they obey that law written within their hearts. And God knows exactly what's in their hearts. He knows what they know. He knows how they feel. He knows how they behave. So they're going to be judged by that on Judgment Day. And God will handle it just perfectly fine. He will get everyone exactly right. I have no doubt about that. Uh, But that's the answer. We're still supposed to try to reach them because their life will be infinitely better if they know about all of God's uh, plan. But if we don't reach them, uh, they have a law in their hearts. And that's one reason that societies arise the way they do. And uh, everybody follows that law written on their heart. And when they don't, they get in trouble. So that's that's the answer there. All right, now let's talk about a good way to study that Bible that Toby was talking about uh, he convinced me that we ought to be studying the Bible. Lots of good reasons to do that. But we know that a lot of people have trouble getting started in that. They listen to what Toby said and they say, All right, tomorrow I'm going to start reading the Bible. And so they grab it and start at Genesis 1, and they go like a house of fire for a week or so. Uh, then they get over into Leviticus and some of those places that are a little bit dry and dull, and they lose interest and quit. Uh, Well, that's one way to study the Bible is just start reading through it. But there's other ways. And we've got some Bible study materials that help you uh, form an interest in Bible study and form a regular habit of Bible studies. And we like to talk about those each week and let you know what they are. This uh, You see on the screen now is the first course. There's eight lessons in this one. And it starts very basic, uh, helps you understand your Bible. First two lessons, which are coming up here in just a second, are the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's where you start. Uh, you may have noticed there's two big divisions in your Bible, but you don't know what the difference is. And what's one? Why is one different than the other? This course will teach you that. You start with the Old Testament. What's it about? Who wrote it? When did they write it? Uh, what's the message of it? And then once you've got that down, you go to the second one, which is about the New Testament. Uh, you just take those two lessons, and you know a whole lot more about the Bible than a lot of folks do. So, great way to get started. Uh, teaches you a lot of very basic things about the Bible, introduces you to the Bible. Once you get through these eight lessons, we've got some more advanced courses that help you study, continue to study the Bible. Uh, by the time you finish this one, you can hopefully have a regular habit formed of Bible study and look forward to your study time every day or every week or when you do it. So, we've got that tool. We're happy to share it with you. All you have to do is call that phone number or log onto that website and say, "I want that free course." We'll get it started for you. We think it's something you'll like and enjoy. All right, Toby.
1: I uh, have a, a question on specific scripture. A viewer asks: uh, Matthew twenty-four says the heavens and earth shall pass away. What does it mean by heavens? Well, let's look at this verse from Matthew chapter 24. It's actually verse 35 of the chapter. And there Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. <clears throat> now, uh, it helps to understand a little bit of Jewish culture. In that culture, they had an understanding of the word heaven. Like When you and I say heaven, especially in a religious context, uh, we think of just the place where God dwells most of the time. Uh, however they had three ideas of heaven the first heaven being uh, what we would call the sky the atmosphere uh, where the birds fly and the clouds are the second heaven being uh, where the sun and the moon and the stars are uh, the heaven you know outside of our atmosphere and then the third heaven uh, where paul said he was uh, had a vision uh, he was able to see uh, that is describes where the eternal dwelling place of god where all the uh, uh, celestial beings reside and where God Himself resides, and so obviously God or Jesus is not talking about that that heaven will pass away. He's talking about the first and the second one. He's saying uh, that that there's a day coming. If you look at Matthew 24, that's what they're asking about: when will the destruction of the temple happen? That's one event, and when will the end of time come? And so Jesus is answering both questions here, and he he. Sp- steps into speaking about the last day and uh, on that day uh, the earth and everything in it as later described in the new testament will be destroyed and uh, the heavens and everything that we know as life uh, will be gone so <clears throat> uh, he's referring to the the earth the sky and and uh, perhaps outer space as well we don't know really for sure but uh, for sure not talking about the eternal dwelling place of god so I hope that clarifies it's a, a good question
0: okay okay you were asked about turning the other cheek in the death penalty. Explain Matthew five about turning the other cheek in regard to the death penalty. All right, I'm going to talk about both of them, but it's hard to talk about them relating because they really don't, but we'll go through that. so let's talk about the turning the other cheek thing first, and let's set the stage a little bit. The culture that Jesus told that to came from a tribal society, the Old Testament law. And it had uh, provisions for if someone murdered someone or killed someone in your family, someone in the family became the avenger of blood and had the right to go kill that person. Now, bear in mind, this was a tribal society that didn't have courts and uh, judges everywhere and all that. So this was the law. And by the time Jesus came along, uh, well... The law also limited them to not hurting people more than the offense. So there was the law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Uh, That's the prescribed way. If somebody hurts you this way, you can hurt them back this way. Uh, uh, By the time Jesus got there, that had become like a command that you had to take an eye for an eye. You had to get justice. You had to get revenge on anybody, and that was permissible. Now, Jesus in this passage was doing the Sermon on the Mount and he was telling them how much different his way was than the old way. Uh, like he said, adultery is not the problem. It's the problem of the heart. When you lust in your heart, that's where the real problem is. So, he was explaining all this. Well, he got to this one and it's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Let's read it together. He says, You've heard it said, and an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay, so Jesus says, my law's different. Uh, you don't have to fight back. You don't have to get revenge. You don't have to personally seek revenge. Uh, put up with it. This is about Christian behavior. Uh, we tolerate some abuse from folks. Now, I think Jesus was using a little hyperbole there, and I don't think he means in every case. I don't think we need to be run over by evil people. But in the general way of life, instead of exacting revenge for anything anybody does to us, uh, Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek, put up with it, be... Tolerant, pacifistic, if you want to say. You can take that as far as you want and be fine with me. But that's what Jesus is saying, personal Christian behavior. Now, that has nothing to do with the death penalty because the death penalty is a function of government, not of personal Christian behavior. Personal Christians don't have the right to take someone's life. We don't have avengers of blood anymore. The government handles that. Romans chapter 13 is the chapter you need to read, and it says governing authorities, governments, are ordained by God. He sets governments up. He allows them to punish the wrongdoer and protect the innocent. And you read that chapter, and he goes, Paul goes on and says the government, the governing authorities, they've got the sword for a reason. Uh, that's the death penalty. He said they don't bear it in vain. They have that authority. So governments maintain order in society. They're to protect the innocent. They're to punish the wrongdoers. That's completely separate from Christian behavior. Now, the only place they intersect is if you decide you want to be an authority of government. If you want to be a policeman or a judge or something like that, then you've got to decide, as a, as a Christian, can you do that job? And I think that's a very personal decision and up to you, but that's the only way those two questions intersect. Turning the other cheek, personal Christian behavior, death penalty, function of government. All right. Let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, Church of Christ provided this program, and... Produce it and present it to you, and uh, we like to thank some of our supporters each week. Uh, You notice we never ask you for money on this program. That's because we've got some folks all across the country who believe in this program and help us stay on the air, and we like to thank them. Uh, One of those is our partner in the Missouri area, Springfield, Missouri, the Watermill Church of Christ. Great bunch of folks. I was there not too long ago, visited with them. Very friendly folks, beautiful building. Uh, A great preacher, Bill McFarland, I know you'll enjoy hearing him if you go visit. Uh, And we thank them for their support on this program and I would like you to add some to it. If you know somebody that attends that church, maybe tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible and appreciate them keeping us on the air. If you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcomed at the Watermill Church of Christ in Springfield or whatever broadcast area you're in, Uh, look up a Church of Christ tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after here? They
1: want to know, why do we have to be tested if God knows everything? Uh, my uh, simple answer to the question is by using an illustration. I have two children who are both in school, and occasionally they receive tests from their teachers. Now, my question is, why does the teacher test the students? Shouldn't the teacher already know those things? All right, well, if you use that explanation, obviously we understand the test is not for the benefit of the teacher. The test is to mature the student and help the, the student learn the things that he or she needs to know as they go along. So if I'm teaching on this unit on math, I give a test to make sure they've correctly understood the things which I'm teaching. Uh, in a, it's not a perfect analogy, uh, but it does describe the tests that we go through, that God puts us through. Uh, Proverbs 17:3 said, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. It's not that he doesn't know, it's just that he needs to mature us and to bring us to a a deeper understanding and a more mature relationship with him. Uh, We have to learn that God is faithful, and through tests we have to learn that he is faithful and that we have to simply put our faith and trust in him. So then, just like the illustration, the tests are not for God. They're not to help him understand more about us. The tests are for us. They teach us. They mature us they remove things from our lives that shouldn't be there. Let's read James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 together. He writes, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything." The tests really are for us and to help us grow and mature in a relationship with Christ. All righty, thank you.
0: Let me see if I can squeeze this one in real quick. Viewer wants to know God said, Let there be light, uh, then later made the sun and the moon. What's the difference? All right, difference is there is light, and then there are sources of light. And I thought about bringing some sources of light <laughs> a, a match and a flashlight. Thought maybe Toby could bring his lightsaber or something, and we'd have the light sources, but then there's light. Well, that's the story. Let's see some verses from Genesis chapter 1. got verse 3 up first. And verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That's the... (laughs) People argue about what light is. Is it a wave or whatever it is? But he said light was created. And then on day 4 he said, Now let there be lights or sources of light in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and to give light on the earth. And it was so. All right, light exists, but then he made the sun and moon so we can tell whether it's summer or winter and the trees can grow or lose their leaves and all that. That's how we keep time uh, so the sources of light help us organize things here on earth but there is light that God created also so that's the difference hope you understand that let's answer our trivia question for the day who prepared the way for Jesus and everybody I think probably got this one right John the baptizer was the one who did that and that was his role in life was to prepare the way for Jesus we're out of time today but glad you've been with us and we hope you come back next week till then have a great week the